Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. That was by far my favorite generous giving conversation of 2016 yet. I know for many of you it was, so it was so cool. Um, and my prayer is that we get to have more of those conversations in 2016 because uh, this faith community is a generous one, and I'm thankful just to be a part of that and just to see and let, like, what's God going to let us watch happen because of our generosity? That's, like, the coolest part. Like, wait, we get to watch this happen? Like, that's so cool. Nobody else gets to, like, see these things actually take place right next to them, um, and they were a part of that. So totally cool. We are in the series week two of, week, of three weeks called Stuck. Um, and, uh, last week was awesome. Uh, one of my favorite parts was last week. I got to celebrate the whole weekend cause I saw 28 people make a first time decision that said, I need to follow Jesus, uh, in this place. And that was like one of the coolest moments for me because there was life change happening in this place. And it's because we get stuck in a lot of things in our life and we just don't know how to get out. Um, and so we said, let's have a conversation about that. And how I came up with this series was, um, I started thinking about what's like a conversation, myself, Pastor Ken, the staff, what's like the conversations we were continually having with people um, over and over again, like that's in the season of their life. What are some things that they're stuck in? And so we said, well, let's have a conversation corporately as this faith community together and just work through that. And last week we talked about how so many of us get stuck in our guilt and shame and uh, it was, it affects us. And we we talked about, I I said, what do you see on this screen right here? And you see a good, some of you (laughs) remember last, that was awesome. A white screen, right? But most of us in the beginning, we say we see a dot, right? There's this beautiful white screen, but there's a blemish. And that's what we get stuck on is this shame and guilt. And, and it can either be um, Satan's weapon, which destroys weapons, kill, destroy, cut apart. Or this could be God's most powerful tool uh, for someone else, which builds up, encourages, equips. And so we worked through that, uh, how we get stuck in our guilt and shame and that we need to choose and decide we're going to accept grace not guilt because God said, Hey, I didn't sacrifice myself to like stare at a dot all the time or you to drag that around with you. And so that was a powerful uh, first week. This week, um, we're talking about uh, another fantastic subject, which seems to, and you've probably seen it just on social media and the world you live in is we get stuck on religion, right? Uh, And religious conversations or religion as a whole. And So we sit in those spaces and they're really difficult for many of us. And religion has a powerful place in our lives. It it gives us uh, principles and it gives us, it's very systematic, right? It's very laid out for us. It's structured. It's all put together. It's handed to us in a nice book. And so we can read rules and regulations. And this is how you react to this situation and how you live. It's very consistent. You know what you're going to get. This is always the answer. Here it is, cut and dry. We need it because we go to religion and all people, um, all kinds of different religions go to it because they need um, the principles in which they live, but also like the moral values in which they live by and uh, the decision making and who they are and what they're supposed to be and what they're here for. And uh, what happens is, is it can start to take this odd place and we can get really stuck in religion um, when it's used inappropriately. And I have a little video I want you to watch just to uh, amplify that. God has not revealed himself to me. Even if he did, I'm not sure how I could be confident that it wasn't just some kind of delusion. 
reinforced by my desires or my culture. Oh, trust me. You'd know. God revealed himself to me. Me too. Oh, really? Pleased to meet you. I have felt God in my heart. God speaks to me. I have a close personal relationship with God. Me too. Amen. You see, God isn't silent. He speaks to us all. Right? We can't all be wrong. You just need to open the door when you hear God knock. We all have a close personal relationship with God. And you can too. Just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on there. Jesus, peace be upon him, was a prophet. But he was not God. Yes, he is. The only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, not faith alone. Faith without works is dead. Uh, not so fast. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. It doesn't matter. God loves us all. We will all go to heaven and see the truth then. You think even Hitler is going to heaven? Even Hitler. I'm sorry, but Hitler's got to burn. Uh, not if you repented. Hitler's going to hell, and so is that guy who cut me off in traffic this morning. You've all been blinded by Satan. Jesus visited the Indians and cursed black people. Say what? And I'm going to get my own planet after I die. Not if Zeno escapes his volcano prison. Say what? Oogly scoogle kuthalulu labi dabi kaka I believe I can straighten this all out. We Jews are the chosen people. Chosen for what? All right, so some of you, some of you cannot believe we just showed that in church. Um, but hey, this is real world, right? This is like where you live all the time. And a lot of times you're like, oh, we can't talk about that at church. If we can't talk about it here, we shouldn't be talking about it somewhere else. So we're going to open that can and get unstuck from this religion nonsense that we get into. And what happens and why it turns into nonsense is because religion does have a place. It's a very valuable place in our lives. But it's what place is that? And what happens and what we see is when religion takes first place, it begins flexing its muscles at the expense of mercy. And you saw a little bit of that in the video. It begins flexing its muscles at the expense of mercy when it takes first place. You, you've heard these words like child sacrifice, honor, killings, holy wars, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The religious people said for Jesus, right? So when religion takes first place and it's the number one value, it, 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 the expense is mercy. The other thing it does is religion collapses under the weight of the real world. Religion collapses under the rate, weight of the real world. You know, we sit there and we say, very systematic, very, very consistent. Um, it's very clear. Um, and then we take that into the real world, this, these, these answers. Like, okay, I wrote that down. If, I, if this happens, I just need to do this and this and this. And then we're sitting there in a real world situation. We're like, what is this? This isn't even reality. It doesn't fit into the situations and the place in which I'm living right here. And so it can collapse under the rate of the real world. And what is the real world? The real world is this, it's unsystematic, it's inconsistent, it's random, and it's messy, right? That's the real world that we live in. 
It's not systematic. It's unsystematic. It's inconsistent. It's random, and it's really messy. This is why you see uh, in your household, you have usually someone who's in your house that's like the rule maker, right? They're always like, just they're always frustrated, right? And they're just always like, why won't they just, well, the kids just need to do this. So this, why doesn't this just happen? This is how it's supposed to happen, right? And then you usually have like the grace giver who's like, it's okay. Don't even pay attention to them. It's totally fine, right? When religion takes first place, this is uh, uh, a fun one to talk about. Leaders become self-righteous. Uh, And this is a really big deal for someone like myself who gets to stand up here in front of you. When religion takes first place, leaders become self-righteous. I've read somewhere, I haven't experienced this myself, but uh, (laughs) um, what happens is, is they say, well, I'm going to dumb down like the rules a little bit because I got to make like at least an A or an A minus myself, right? And what happens is self-righteous leaders start to become really angry. And they're coming angry because they're like, God says you don't do this, and this is how you treat this person, and this is how you act here. But then they're looking over at you going, oh, I really wish I could be doing that, right? And they're looking at the sin going, oh, man, that looks really good. And I'm going to tell you right now, if, if your sin is not fun, then you're doing it wrong. Um, but that's what happens. They become self-righteous, and then they become really angry about it right? When religion takes first place in their lives. And the result of that too is that followers then become hypocrites. And this is why many of you maybe have left the church or some of your friends don't come around the church because they're like, ah, a bunch of hypocrites. And that's because they've experienced or their view like that video is that religion is first place. It tops us all. And you got a bunch of followers saying, we're following the rules. It's really good. And they're not. We all know that. They say they are, but they're not. And see, Jesus comes along, and we read about um, the, in the four Gospels and the life of Jesus and all the red letters is that him and these religious leaders, also called Pharisees, we'll say that, religious people were in a constant battle, in a constant conflict of what was most important. They both believed in Moses' law. It was extremely important, and they both believed that people were important. But what they sat there and they said was, which one is priority? Which value is the top value? And this would cause constant um, conflict between them. And what happens is, is we see that Jesus constantly prioritized people, and this is weird, over his own religion, customs, and traditions. Well, wait, what does that mean? Jesus constantly prioritized people over his own religion, customs, and traditions. He came and said, hey, we got to put religion in its place. And we see this in a, in a story in the New Testament in Mark. And this is what's happening is that um, these religious leaders would always try to like get Jesus and try to get him into a hole and say, you know, we're in this battle right now. Which one's more? We're going to catch him doing something wrong. And a common one he would do was the Sabbath. They would have the Sabbath, and you don't do anything. And, and so they would get him, and they'd be like, hey, you healed somebody on the Sabbath. And that wasn't even, like, necessarily a rule, but they're like, that's working. And he's like, no one ever has healed anyone. Like, that's not even work. Um, and so they'd be like, you can't do that. This isn't okay. And so they would try to catch him. There's always big groups of people following Jesus because they're like, who is this guy? This is so radical and real. I need to figure out what this is going on here. I need to be a part of that. So there's these big groups of people following him, and as well as there's these Pharisee religious leaders saying, hey, we, we're going to catch you doing something you shouldn't be doing because 
uh, we're just not along on the same page here in this battle. And so what's going on is Jesus is walking, and this is the Sabbath again. He's walking along with his disciples, and as they walk by, they walk by a wheat field. He starts taking and breaking off the heads of the wheat, cracking the kernels, and eating them. Think of like a snack, right? We're cruising along the trail. We're eating some snacks. And all of a sudden, what we see is in Mark 24, it says, The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You're harvesting. It's like, I'm not harvesting. We're eating some food. We're hungry. We're like taking a snack. No, no, no. What you're doing is unlawful. The law, the religion is number one here. And this is on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing this. And so Jesus kind of throws something back at him, which he was really good at and probably gave lots of little smirks and like aha moments. And uh, there's a couple untouchables from the Old Testament that religious people were really stuck on. It was, you know, Abraham, you don't mess with David. You don't mess with Elijah. And so he said to him, hey, remember David ate something that he wasn't supposed to eat on a day he wasn't supposed to eat it? Is he bad too? And then just kind of (laughs) like, and only they got that. And so then he says this really powerful thing that a lot of times we can just zoom right past by. And he said this, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? His rules. The Sabbath was made for man. God said, I didn't make a bunch of rules and say, I need to make some people to live within my rules. Like we need to have somebody working through this. No, no, no. He says, people are important. And so then I made this for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's kind of like in our real world, if I was going to talk to you, especially parents out there, parents don't have children. So there's somebody to pick up the toys right? You don't have stuff and be like, we need somebody else to do some chores around here. I'm tired of doing the dishwasher. Let's have kids, (laughs) right? You don't do that, right? If you ever grew up in a a household that was full of like these rule setters um, and it was like, this is the rule. You have to do this and this is rule, which rules are good, but it was, it was all super stringent, very consistent, very, very like systematic. This is what happens. You couldn't wait to leave. It's just reality, right? Just who we are. Couldn't wait to leave. But great parents, this is what great parents do. Great parents set rules, and when they feel like it's appropriate and in their child's best interest, they break their own rules, right? When they feel like it's appropriate and in their child's best interest, they break their own rules. You know, like in my house, bedtime for my kids is is, is like 7.15, uh, especially in a school night. We go to bed at 7.15, and know that's a rule. But on Friday night, my wife had to go out of town for a family emergency. Uh, and so we stayed up, and they said, hey, Dad, it's past bedtime. Like, this is pretty rad. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? There's other circumstances going on. We're going to talk to Mom, and she's going into the hospital, and we're going to have some conversations. Because of the circumstances that are going on, I get to break my own rules. Or like maybe, hey, tomorrow, a rule is you go to school. Tomorrow you're not going to go to school. There's a circumstances what's going on. When it's appropriate and in your child's best interest, you break your own rules. And the parent that creates, that doesn't do this and creates the perfect home, everyone can't wait to leave, to get out of there. Because it's just not realistic. And God is a perfect heavenly father. He didn't create people for the law. He created the law for people. And it goes both ways uh, with promises. Have you ever broken a promise? Yeah? Like two people? Can you break? <laughs> I'm not telling. <laughs> 
you break a promise and you're like, hey, yeah, you can go to that thing. It's, it's really good. You, you can totally go to that thing. And then all of a sudden you're going to have to sit down with your kids or someone to have a conversation and be like, you are going to be frustrated with me right now. And I give you permission. You're going to hate me for a minute. But I told you you could go to that thing. And now you can't. And I'm like, what? You promised me. You're right. But then I figured out what that thing was. And you're not allowed to go because it's in the best interest of, 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 your, of that person. Uh, or, yeah, I know, I told you you could hang out with them, but then I met them, and you're not <laughs> going to hang out with them ever. <laughs> right? But you changed the rules. Why? Why? Because you are more important than the rules I made. Because you're more important than the rules I made. Sometimes I break my rules and you're really happy. And sometimes I break the rules and you are, you hate me. But the common theme in both of those, you. That's the common thing in both of those things. And what your heavenly father does is he says, he says, um, what makes all of this uh, uh, really tough for people is when, when we act like that, when we live in this space between grace and truth and this tension it makes religious people really nervous, really uncomfortable, as it should. And so a common theme that we start to see uh, in the Old Testament as we're reading along, if we just open that and start looking through, is that people got really good, as you're good at things, like of loopholes, right? And I know you're all just shady. We're all looking for the loophole. Like, yep, I found it on the internet. That's the price I should get, right? We're just looking for the loopholes to, to get our own, to take care of it. And they started doing this with sin, right? Said uh, there was an exception when there was sin, when you hurt people, God said, treat people well, but in an exception, uh, there's sin when you don't and you need to make atonement for that or a sacrifice to get right with God and you kill an animal. And uh, so what happened was that they're like, sweet, this is like a get out of free jail card. Um, I can just sin my way through life and I'll just keep throwing another steak on the grill and we are set. <laughs> right? And that's what started happening is they like, we found a loophole. This is legit. And so they started working through this. And, uh, and so we see a prophet uh, speaks to this in Isaiah and he's talking to a group of people that are doing this. And he said, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams and of the fatted fat or of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And so he's saying, hey, I have, I have plenty of this. But they say, well, but, but God, you told us to, to kill animals. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the rule to kill animals. That's the exception, right? That's the atonement for these types of things. So he, he continues on and gets a little more aggressive. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, it's detestable to me. Some of you may get upset that I'm going to say this, but some of you might be here this weekend because of what you did this week. God says, <laughs> you think I'm stupid? Like, you think you found a loophole? You think you found a loophole and you're going to come here and that uh, I'm, I'm just going to give you all these rules. I'm going to ping your conscience just because I want you to obey me. No, 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 no. I love you and you're screwing your life up. And you're trying to use church attendance and like I read the Bible this week to somehow like make me happy. Mm-mm. The goal is not to make me happy. The goal is to live a life that's honoring to you, which is honoring to me. 
So don't go to church to appease me or check this thing off your list to appease your conscience. That's a waste of our time. I, I want you to submit to me because I love you. I'm not in love with my rules. I'm not in love with the Bible. I'm not in love with morality. I'm in love with you. He continues on and says, when you, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. That's where we all get this. I can't hear you. I'm not listening. That's what he was doing. He says, I'm not religious. Stop it. Stop making religion like you're doing all these things. I love you. And so the application here, he says, is, hey, come on. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Of the, of the widow. So it's the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, Jesus comes along. And again, he's sitting amongst these uh, Pharisees, these religious people who are in this constant conflict of, and battle of which one's first. And they say, we got it. Here's a, here's a question for you, Mr. Jesus. Um, out of all the laws of Moses, which is the greatest and so he answers, says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And immediately they went, that is an awesome answer, Jesus. Thank you very much. I love that one. Because you can't see what's happening with my heart. You can't see my soul. You can't see my mind. I can do that. So I can just... Say, I'm in sync with God because nobody knows. And before they could finish that thought, he continues with it and he says, and the second is like it. Whoa, whoa. But what does like it mean? Like it means equal to. It means it defines the first and what it is. It means it makes it measurable. It clarifies. So this is saying the second is like it as the same as as much. And it continues. It says, the second is like it's love your neighbors as yourself. Wait a minute. People can see that. People know whether I'm doing that or not. And then he continues, love your neighbor as yourself. And he stamps it with this. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of it. So he's talking about the entire Old Testament, the entire New, New Testament. Everything that's going on hangs on this. Anything you've read, anything you've thought before, anything in the law that you've tried to understand, all hang on this. Love God and love your neighbor. If you've read any story or anything from the Bible in the Old Testament and come up with something different than that, you're reading it wrong. Well, what's the story of Jonah about? Loving God, loving people. Well, what's the, what, what does Peter say when he said this? You know, what's going on with divorce or with marriage or with this thing and I'm supposed to do my life and my more Love God. Loving your neighbor. It all hangs on this. Loving God and loving your neighbor. If you've read it and come up with something else, you're reading it wrong. If you've read it and decided to apply it a different way, you're living it wrong. Sometimes we get confused about this. This is so difficult. Well, like, wait a minute. Like, people have to see that. I'm, like, really stuck on religion. Like, which one, which one is in first place here? And, and we, when we ask ourselves, when we don't know what to do in a situation or how to react in a situation, simply do what love requires you to. When you don't know what to do, what the answer is to something, simply do what love requires of you. 
And we get stuck on religion because constantly we feel this pressure that we have to put it in first place. And religion has a place. It's second place. It's still extremely important. But it's second place. And that's what Jesus came to do. He said, hey, there it is. It's in second place. It's not in first place. See, this fascinating thing that Jesus did is he never allowed theology to get in the way of ministry. I want you to chew on that for a second. So theology, he is walking and talking theology. He is God, right? But he never allowed theology, law, religion to get in the way of ministry. He never met someone and said, oh, I would really love to help you, but I can't because this is what the Bible says. Oh, I would really love to love on you in your situation, but I can't because I'm a Christian. Oh, I'd, man, I know that I really am freaked out and I don't understand your sexual identity. Um, and I would love to like pray for you, but I'm a Christian and I can't. He never allowed his theology to get in the way of people in his ministry. And this is why, because Jesus's conscience was always informed by compassion rather than consistency. And that freaks us out when it comes to putting religion into first place. Because consistency says always, this is always the answer. This is what it says. This is what I do. This is how I um, like live in my life. If this happens, this is what I do. This is how I treat this person. This is how I act. Compassion says whenever versus always. Consistency, always. Compassion, whenever, right? So a lot of us will live in this and we'll get stuck in this consistency place and be like, I cannot love those people. I can't love that group of people that I see or this thing that's going on because it says so, consistency, right? But what happens for a lot of us is this is, this is real life for us with compassion is all of a sudden somebody in our real life that's close to us comes walking into our life and suddenly they're one of those people and our whole like, all of a sudden we say, well, this is different now. I feel compassion." right? But that's how Jesus' conscience was informed all the time, was by compassion, not necessarily religion or traditions or vice. That was a religious Pharisee thing, like, hey, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't heal people. No. People. Compassion, rather than consistency. And love demands inconsistency. It demands it. I don't even know if this is a Christian statement or not, but, uh, or even a religious statement, but when you meet someone and you're like having a difficult time with it and you get stuck in religion, what we need, our response needs to be is, you, friend, are more important to me than my view. I've had some conversations with people, um, even in this faith community, that, that are wanting to come to this faith community and they won't because they're like religious people. It's real life. That video we showed that was starting out with an atheist person. Like, I don't want nothing. You guys are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, <laughs> right? And I have to sit there and look them straight in the eye and say, no, time out, time out, time out. You are so much more important to me than my view. I need to be with you. I need to touch you. I need to do life with you because that's what Jesus did because he was compassionate compassionate. 
and people were the most important. So don't allow, don't get stuck in religious, don't allow a view to supersede a you. So people say, well, you know, he showed this crazy video, like what kind of church are we? We, Northgate, we are a non-denominational church. Many of you don't know that. Many of you don't even know what it means. You're just like, oh yeah, what, what kind of church is this? And we're like non-denominational. You're like, oh yeah, cool. Totally. Like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds great. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a little education what that is. Um, so that's this. You hear Pastor Ken all the time just living in this messy, sloppy grace, and it makes people crazy nervous, right? Because grace is messy, and living in the tension between religion, number one, or truth and grace scares the snot out of us, but that's where God asks us to live, right in the midst, in the middle of that. And so we have values here to say that. That's why we're saying, hey, um, everyone's welcome here, but I insist you change before you arrive because you're not welcome here really or you can't like serve in an area of the church because you're scary and you sin and I don't sin as much as you do. We, no, we got to live in this tension, right? Which is, it makes us so nervous. We get stuck on religion. So we have values, a grace-filled community. We're a grace-filled community. Welcome. <laughs> Look who's standing up on stage right now. We are people in process. We haven't figured it out. We're not like putting one in front of the other. We're like trying to stumble and fumble through this and just be like, okay, Jesus, like all the other stuff, this is non-denominational. We're a eclectic melting pot of awesomeness because everyone has this thing that they came from, they grew up with, and this is what's going on. But where we're just going to meet is Jesus. Like, hey, sure, sounds crazy. Sure, sounds awesome. I don't know if I, I'm not going to tell you what I think about either of it, but Jesus, right? We're people in process. We value here redemptive relationships because that's what we constantly watch Jesus do was redeem relationships that would never happen. Who sits there in their faith community and says, just like he did, and hangs out with sinners? Or, oh, you're not welcome here. I know what you do or what you're part of or what you think or who you're with or whatever it may be. What you put into your arm, what you put in your mouth, whatever it is. And that's what constantly happened when religion was first place was you, Jesus, are hanging out. Do you see who you're associating yourself with? Redemptive relationships happen constantly. It's a place we value it. A lifestyle of worship. It's not just something that we sing about. It's something that we live out and say, hey, we get to do this because our conscience is pinged by compassion, not consistency. And generous living. We got to talk about that a lot today. But we get to live generously and give to other people because we've been so given to. Our little dot that we carry around is a powerful tool. And one of those ways they become a weapon is if we use it to cut people up. Well, mine isn't as bad as yours. Right? It's not just that it tears us up, but you can tear other people up with it. Be like, look at your dot. And that becomes, that becomes a weapon. That's used by Satan instead of a tool that's used by God. And all of that, what does it speak to? And it's right if you, just so you know, (laughs) but on the back of this guy, it's right here every week because we want you guys to know it. That all leads to our vision and that's changing the way people view the church. That's what that does because people go, wait a minute, like for reals? This isn't like how I grew up or how people are acting on these videos and 
on social media. Like, no, we want to change the way people view the church. We're going to be a people in process, a grace-filled community, redeem relationships, live a lifestyle worship, and have a generous lifestyle. So I'm going to try to land this plane. I'm going to say it to you in five different ways, just so you can come on. Friends, Jesus didn't die for precepts and principles. He died for people. Jesus didn't die for the law. He died for law breakers. Jesus didn't die for a set of rules. He died for rule breakers. Jesus didn't die for sin. He died for sinners. And Jesus didn't die for a view. He died for you. So this week, may we get unstuck from religion and put it in its place, which is a valuable place, but it's second. Because Jesus said so. Would you bow your heads? God, first off, I just want to thank you that we can have this conversation here in a place like this and be radically offended by you (laughs) and your grace because it's nonsense. But God is the best gift we've ever received. So help us get unstuck in the conversations that we're having and the actions that we're we're having in in the... in the compassionate moments that we're not having because religion has taken the wrong place in our lives. And friends out here today, this morning, I want to invite you, if there is anyone here today, maybe you grew up in some of these places, maybe you've been living in some of these places and you're like, ugh. And because of that, maybe you haven't really met Jesus. The real Jesus. God on this earth who gave himself up for you, who died for you, a sinner, a rule breaker, a law breaker. And and today is the day for you to say, whoa, that's what I need. I need that Jesus. I need the Jesus in my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept that free gift of grace that only he can give, and it's given to you freely. And I'm going to ask you to, to say it with not just your heart, but with your hand. So if you're here today and you want to accept that gift from Jesus for the first time, would you raise your hand and allow me to acknowledge you? I just want to pray over us before we leave today. Yeah, I got you. Awesome. So God, we thank you. Um, again, for just the opportunity just to, to be together in a community of followers as we stumble through this and try to live in this messy, messy place, this messy world with messy grace and live in constant tension. Would you give us strength and boldness and courage and we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may-